Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Australians expecting or Australians who have expected, welcome to season three of Dad Pod <laughs> Beyond Sleeping In. <laughs> they said we'd never make it, Osh. All those critics, all those, uh, all those Dad Pod haters, where are they now? Where are they now? Actually, I saw a thing just last night on an industry, uh, I subscribe to my kind of industry inside newsletters and things. I saw a thing last night going about an advertising code of practice in that they're trying to avoid gender stereotypes in advertising, right? And of course, that would be, you know, like a, a example they used was a Pino Clean ad and they had a mum in a hammock going more time for you. You know, it's like, well, not all mums do housework and not all housework is for mums, right? But one of the other ones, which is kind of why we started this whole podcast, was the gender stereotype of the dumb dad yeah. who's just in everything. Chubby, dumb dad. Oh, fucked up again. I don't know how to do laundry. You know? <laughs> and I'm kind of sick of it because we don't really have those, you know, it's like we look up to men who are dads and you're like, you're allowed to be the rock. You're allowed to be Hugh Jackman. But that's it. Everyone else yep. has just got to be the kind of the dumb guy. It's like, I don't know what to do. I fucked up the bottle. <laughs> I mean, look at us, Osh. Like, we are doing this podcast about being dads. You've just come from a bloody workout. You're sipping on a protein shake. I am. Where I'm recording, I'm in a half-renovated room. I've been to Bunnings every day this, this, in this new it? year. I, I was thinking about it the other day how quickly the babies seem to kickstart the other, like, daddish parts of my life. Like, I, I, did, I always watched sitcoms and was, and was like, oh, dads in sitcoms are such, like, caricatures. But that's what happens. All you do is like, you know, you worry about money and your kids and you're always going to the hardware store to fix things and you fall asleep at 7 p.m. It's crazy. It's pretty great. I personally, <laughs> like, we call it, we've got two Bunnings near our house and you knew it, the one that was down the road from your old place, we call mm. that the chapel because it's right. the little one. And then yep. there's the massive one down at Maroubra, which is the, the cathedral. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to pop down the chapel to get a few things. Oh, I'm going to need to go to the cathedral for this one. <laughs> so what are we talking about in season three? Oh, season one was more about like a, a real-time uh, experience of two guys becoming dads. Yeah. Then season two was, well, let's talk about the nine months of pregnancy. What is season three all about? Well, Dad Pod season two, this time with facts, got a great amount of feedback. So we're turning around again for season three and Dad Pod season two, basically we're trying to create, I don't know, trying to create a resource for people who are expecting, people who have found themselves pregnant, people who are getting pregnant again and haven't been pregnant for a long time, like what happened with us. Audrey hadn't been pregnant in 15 years um, when she got pregnant with Wolf and a lot has changed in that time. The idea was to create some sort of resource that people could use because if it's on the internet, it lives forever. And uh, Dad Pod season two <laughs> took us all the way up to right before like the week of arrival. Okay, so mm -hmm. I think that's where we should start today. And and while we're here, let me just congratulate uh, one of Dad Pod's celebrity dads, one of our one of our guest dads, Maddie Johnson, uh, Maddie J, and Laura. They just welcomed a new baby into their world um, just this week. So good for them. They had sex and they made a baby. And um, now oh, she's here. that's how it happened. I've been racking my brain to work out how we got this kid in the house. I'm like, why did this happen again? I'm so tired, Osh. I can't even remember conception. Lola, Lola has joined Marley, and we're very, we're very happy for Matthew uh, because, like, we've had a lot of celebrity dads, a lot of guest dads on the show, and mum dads on the show. But I, I don't know. I've lost count of how many kids there are uh, of all the, the guest dads. Who's that? Who's when we do get to him? Who's that guest dad today? Who are we going to be speaking to a little later on? 
Ty Hara, Home and Away's own Ty Hara, creator of the web series Colorblind. Uh, he's going to be the guest. And he is a new dad, Osh. For the first time, we'll be speaking to a rookie dad. We will be the ones imparting wisdom. I cannot wait to speak to Ty a little later in the show. But let's kick off today, Season 3, Episode 1, Beyond Sleeping In. Let's talk about one of the things, one of the most important things as you're getting close to bub arriving, and that is what's called the go bag. When you're in your 20s, you may leave the go bag kind of by the front door, and in your go bag it may have boardies, some surf wax, you know, some tie downs and a sleeping bag. So if one of your mates goes, mate, it's on, we're going to seal rocks, you just... You don't have to even bother. Yeah. But this go bag is a very different one. And we should say, too, that there is a difference between the go bag and a bag of go. Uh, <laughs> if you spent time in Adelaide, chances are you might have might have had a bag of go by the front door as well <laughs> or, or tossed it out of a moving car when you got pulled over. Oh, oh, man, don't even start. I read one the other day about, oh, my God, there's a bloke in Queensland. I think he got pulled over by the – he was pulled up – a pair, set of cops pulled up next to him at the lights – He's got a kid in the car and he's got his phone out taking a photograph of the sky and he's off his guts on meth and the cops are like, what are you doing, mate? We're right next to you. You've got a phone in your hand taking photos of the clouds. He's going, but it looks like an elephant, mate. <laughs> well, he's got a point. Oh, the cloud looked like an elephant. He's got his child in the car. Like, <laughs> it's terrifying. So, yeah, you may, you may be dreaming of the times in your life when those sort of things may have been or may not have been a part of your, your nocturnal existence. But um, if you've got These your shit days. together, hopefully those days are long gone. Yeah. The go back is basically so you don't have to worry about what the fuck do I pack. Like when your partner, when the, the, the mother of your child goes, oh, my goodness, it's time to go, baby's coming, or we've got to go, we're going to get induced or, you know, we're going to have the Caesar or whatever. We don't have to think about what needs to go in the bag. So, you know, it's, it's really important to think about, so start with the number one person, mum, <laughs> what things are you going to need in there for mum? You're going to need undies, lots of undies, because you're going to be spending three or four days maybe in the hospital. Uh, undies, uh, maternity bras. If you've never bought maternity bras, you're going to have to go out and get some. They are a little like, shall we say, an advent calendar for the chest. They are, <laughs> you strap them on and there's a, it basically means you can pick a boo the nipple without having to get completely undressed in public. Toiletries, so pack a toothbrush, pack, you know, all those kinds of things you're going to need. And um, lots and lots and lots of snacks. Snacks for you, snacks for uh, support people around. These things are all very, very important. And then, very most importantly, clothes for the baby. Baby's going to need clothes. Baby doesn't get – literally gets born in his or her birthday suit. That's it. They are the clothes that it's going to wear. So you're going to need clothes for the baby and plenty of them. Because let me tell you, Charlie, our washing machine has been on the fritz this week. Oh, no. good Lord, to have no washing machine and two kids in the house. That's what Gemma said to me today. She was like, oh, so having a baby means you are washing every day and you're putting stain remover on everything every time you do a wash. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's right. This thing's been churning like 24-7. Yeah, we do a lot of laundry. We actually even got a plumber to come around and install a grey water hose into a washing machine because there's just so much water that we use. We just then get these – we've got two of those grey water hoses. We, we banged them together and yeah. now we just move the hose around the garden rather than using the tap. So all, all the washing machine water – it's like 60 litres, 66 litres every time we wash. So that goes down on the garden. So the tiger grass is looking good. But these are things that, that are really, really important. And another – like – Super important thing before you even think about, oh my goodness, the baby's coming, the car seat. 
Mm. Car seat is so, so very important. We talked a bit about this in season one, but you really can't skimp on it. Like a bicycle helmet, I don't know if you'd want to buy a secondhand one <laughs> or take a hand-me-down because you don't know what it's been through. Mm. I personally, I, I whack out in and out of the car all the time now, and the one time we were allowed to travel after the pandemic, I figured out how to put it into basically every car now, but I'd never done that before. So the yeah. first time we got a professional installer to put it in and it needed one extra strap. So I'm really glad I did that because it needed an extra strap to get over the back seat and I needed to go to Baby Bunnings to get that strap because I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not had the time to do that. I also think too that that first, because remember it's a baby capsule, like a lot of people get, I, I know I was confused about the difference between a baby capsule and a baby seat. And the reason you need to get that baby capsule installed professionally is it requires, basically it has a mount and then, this, and then the capsule goes on top of that. And the mount is kind of, it's not like just putting it in your back seat and strapping it down with seat belts. <laughs> like it's actually a more involved process. But the good news is it's really easy to do. And most shopping centers will install them for you. And they're very reasonably priced where you basically rent the seat for them for the first six months. So you can literally drive your car to a shopping center, find what level the baby seat uh, you know, installers are, put it in, go get a coffee, do some shopping, come back in half an hour and it's ready. And the best part, it's certified. This isn't one of your Uncle Jim's going to come around and install your baby capsule jobs. No, no, no. And, and but I would also say like take, take the time to familiarize yourself with it because if you do have the, the fortune to be able to travel at all, you are going to, but plus, if, say, if you do go to, you go, I'm going to need to go to Bunnings to get some extra things for the house, you are going to need to have to take the seat out so you can get extra stuff in your car. So you are going to yep. need to know how to get it in and out. And most of them are pretty good if they have the ISOFIX little plugs. You, who knew every yeah. car I've had has had a secret seatbelt attachment hidden under the back seat this whole time? You feel like such an idiot when you discover that. You also is a great way to work out if the car that you're driving how much do you think you're going to be able to tolerate getting a baby in and out of that? Because we had a, a smaller car that we quite liked, we are quite happy with, a little family sedan, but it was so low to the ground, like getting that baby seat in and out and reaching for the baby. And out. After a while, I'm like, we have to get a car with a bit more room <laughs> because this is ridiculous. Yeah, we, um, what do we call it? A flat load. Uh, as an ex-roadie, yeah. I should really have understood what that meant. It's like you, you want a flat load. You don't want to be bending down, particularly postpartum, let's really be honest. Like not Audrey didn't have a traumatic birth with Wolf, but it's it's quite possible that, you know, you have to prepare yourself for the possibility, and we'll talk about this in later episodes, that there may be some trauma associated with birth and mum mm. might not be able to bend over. Might not be, yeah. Mum might not be able to hold the weight of the baby and bend down while keeping balance and transferring baby into a car. So a flat, you know, kind of plane of motion is is important. If you haven't considered getting a vehicle that's a little higher off the ground, maybe now's the time. Not that you really go anywhere too much in the first nah. couple of weeks. Now, Osh, you talked about what you essentially need in a go bag, but what about some things that you don't need? Because sometimes, I don't know what you're like when you're packing, but all of a sudden that suitcase fills up and you're like, oh, hang on, I haven't even got to my toiletries yet or anything like that. So here's some things which you're not going to need. Nothing, no hair product, no hair straightener. No, no one's going to be bothered with that kind of stuff. No. Books, iPads, et cetera. You're not going to be taking time no. to read. Trust me, you'll be focused 100% on what's going on. And you definitely don't want to bring booze into a hospital. No. That's a big no-no. Wow. The idea of like cigars and champagne and stuff, popping it over the baby, it's a bit of an old-fashioned idea, but they don't really dig it. I did sneak a small bottle of Moet in. Um, <laughs> you son of a bitch! 
How dare you? Yeah, I did. I snuck a small bottle of Moet in because now bear in mind, this wasn't, I didn't, wouldn't put this in the go bag, but it was in the fridge portion of the go bag. It was in a, in a cooler bag inside the fridge. And it was like one of those little 250 mil bottles of Moet, a little tiny little mm. one and some soft cheese and some crackers because we <laughs> had not been able to eat either of those for, or drink that for the entire time she was pregnant. And so that came with us to the hospital. And then oh, there's this great photo of Audrey breastfeeding Wolf for the first time, lying on her side. So Wolf's lying on his side on the bed. He's on the downhill boob and she's sipping <laughs> mowing in one hand and eating some brie <laughs> or dauphinois in the other hand. So we did sneak some post-birth snacks in, which is really, really important. So think, think about that. Don't, don't forget those little super little treats as well. Well, that little anecdote too highlights something that I had wish I had packed in our bags and that is straws. Oh, yes. Because that's something that I didn't think of. I had plenty of drinks there. But the thing is when your wife's in labour and she just wants to sip, she doesn't really have the time or the wherewithal to hold a glass and put it to her lips. It's much mm. easier if like, you know, uh, at the end of the fourth round in Rocky, you come in like Mickey, you just stick that straw in her mouth, yeah. <laughs> let her rehydrate and then get out of there. Yeah. We had one of those um, hydro flask bottles. Um, that has a, like a flip-up straw that goes all the way down. So we, that, that's that's what we use. But, yeah, absolutely, straws, that's a really good tip. Straws, really, really important. And as Charlie mentioned, leave the iPad, leave the laptop, leave all that stuff. Honestly, the most exciting, interesting thing you'll ever, ever see in your life is in the room with you. And if you need mm. to be scrolling through your phone, you might want to think about what the hell's just happened to your life. You, I would just sit there and stare at him. You know, <laughs> it was incredible. Um, when it comes to labor, when it comes to birth plans and things like that, I know that you and Jem, you planned out a few things and you, you did bring a few, quite a few things to set dress the room, didn't you? Yeah, totally. That's a good way of putting it. It was set dressing. Uh, yeah, look, we had all the fundamentals in terms of like clothes and food and all that kind of stuff. And then you could start thinking about, I guess, the more um, fun stuff, the, 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 the way you want to style the room to make it um, comforting and, and intimate and, and warm and lovely for your partner. So um, we uh, got a crystal lamp, uh, which gives off a nice soft light so you can turn off like the harsh overhead fluoros in the hospital bed. Um, we obviously had our Yui Boom with our playlist all ready to go. And then I had printed out some positive slogans to stick around the room. So if Gemma at any point was feeling like she was, you know, facing an uphill battle, she could look up and see a poster of a cat hanging from a branch. <laughs> Just hang in there. No, look, they were personal messages uh, about stuff we had discussed about the kind of birth that we wanted. Um, Gem was very adamant that she wanted to try and do it naturally to avoid drugs or induction or anything like that. And so we just kind of wanted to reinforce that message that everything that was happening in the room was meant, was the way it was, it was meant to be and just to, to breathe and be in the moment, which, you know, it's easy to say from the outside. I'm sure when you're in excruciating pain of childbirth, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is just like uh, stay in there. But she said to me afterwards that it did help like just sort of saying having that plan, I guess it's sort of just like it just kept her grounded through the experience. I'm glad you mentioned the UE boom because Georgia did put together, Georgia who's our eldest, Georgia put together a playlist for Audrey and it really changed the room and it was super, super valuable. It really impacted the birth experience in such a positive way for both Audrey and I, knowing that even though Georgia wasn't with us in the room, Every song we heard, she had programmed with her mum in mind and she thought long and hard about the songs and, and it was really impactful and it was, it was really, really good. Those things were great. 
I'm stoked. Oh, while I'm getting all emotional and gushy, it just poked into my mind. Must be thinking about because I'm thinking about my teenager. Phone charges. Bring your phone charges. Get a spare phone charger. You're going to run out because <laughs> you're going to take a photo of the baby every two seconds. Ice, <laughs> can we talk about something else that you can prepare for? It's not something you're necessarily going to take to the hospital, but it's something that you're going to need when you get back from the hospitals, and that is food. It's oh, a great yeah. time in those last few weeks leading up to your due date is to just start cooking up a storm. Whenever you're making dinner or lunch or whatever, just make an extra portion oh, yeah. and freeze it and put it in the freezer because – in that first six weeks, you don't know up from down, left from right, and it's so much easier when you can just go to the freezer and heat something up and you've got a, a healthy, delicious meal right there. When we were getting ready for our baby, our doula gave us some advice, which was excellent. She said, because a lot of people are going to want to help and they're going to want to bring flowers and stuffed toys and chocolates and all that kind of stuff. Ask them to bring food, homemade food, because that will be the thing that you will appreciate the most. And she was 100% correct because you just don't have the time or the brain capacity to cook or even necessarily read a takeaway menu. So if you've just got a fridge full of frozen food or a relative or a friend who can pop around every couple of days and drop off like stews, lasagnas, you know, stuff that's in bulk. So you can, even if you only get through half of it, you can save the rest for later. Couldn't agree with you more. We were really, really lucky in that we had Audrey's mum with us uh, for a little while. But Charlie, both your parents had passed on. Uh, Gemma's parents are overseas, so you guys were you guys were kind of on your own a bit. But you still you had a bit of support as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So we uh, we used a doula, and a lot of people ask, uh, you know, what a doula is. So the technical definition. If this was a debate, Oshad open with the Oxford Dictionary defines a doula as a non-medical labour assistant whose role is to provide support to the mother and her partner, facilitate communication to medical staff and create a birthing environment that is respectful and comforting to the mother and her partner. Essentially, they're like a birth guru. So they take a more holistic approach to childbirth. It's not just about the labour like you deal with the midwife. It's more about what dad pod is. It's kind of preparing you for pregnancy and then, you know, the weeks after that. So we found it really, really invaluable. I only know a few people who've used doulas because most people have family like you guys did, but we found the experience unbelievably helpful. Like uh, we basically interviewed, we had a few recommendations. We spoke to a couple on the phone and then there was one that we liked, Caitlin. And so we met with her at the cafe and, you know, it's a big deal because that person is going to be in the room with you at the birth of your child, you know, like it's kind of, you have to be sure. And so, you know, we ran it like a job interview, but within minutes of meeting Caitlin, we were immediately put put at ease, um, loved her philosophy and, you know, what they can do for you. My big concern was if this is a highly, you know, charged situation and maybe something goes wrong and doctors start coming in and saying they want to do this or do that, I don't feel confident that I can say, no, no, we, this is what we want for our birth plan. We want to stick to this. And so I felt like if I had someone uh, like Caitlin, she was able to speak to the midwives on my behalf, speak to the doctors on mm. my behalf. Because a lot of these, a lot of these doulas, some of them are also midwives or have been midwives and have moved into kind of birth coaching. So generally they'll have really great relationships with all the midwives at different hospitals. Like I know we didn't have a specific midwife because we were going public. 
So every time we'd meet a different midwife, we'd tell Caitlin about it and Caitlin would know her and then we'd do a follow-up phone call and just okay. double check and, you know, just reassure us that everything is okay. Yeah. They're also great for things like um, recommending yoga teachers for pregnancy, acupuncture, hooking you up with a nurse who can sling you a TENS machine, uh, you oh, know, nice and cheap. But this is all stuff that yeah. we didn't have parents to ask about or, yeah, you know, yeah. even, you know, my older siblings, it was so long since they had had their kids, they mm. sort of really couldn't recall. Yeah. So, you know, if, if it's you're in a situation where you, it's just you and your partner and you feel mm. like, you know, you want some reassurance and you want some support, then I would highly recommend a doula. When it comes to getting the go bag ready, that's that's kind of one of the things you want to get out of the way because you don't want to be thinking about what the hell do I pack when your partner is like, oh, my God, when the pre-labor is on the way. The other thing you don't want to do is like not have the house ready. And this is an important part. And I'm here to tell you, dear listener, <laughs> nesting is real. All right. It's real. Nesting is absolutely real. It is, uh, it is the urge of the expectant mother uh, and sometimes the father, not all the time, but to prepare the home, prepare the nest to nurture the child. And it could be everything from cleaning inside the fridge, cleaning under the couch. You, you may have seen, as you, your partner's doing a lot of cell division, they're doing a lot of work, their body's just working overtime to create another human inside them. They may have lacked a lot of energy during a pregnancy and suddenly there's this burst of energy where there's, you know, up at 10 p.m. vacuuming and stuff like that. Do not get in her way. Let her do the nesting. Um, as long as she's not up a ladder, you know, or overexerting herself or, you know, taking all the recycling out and, you know, moving my kettlebells out of the way, let, let her rip because it is also a massive psychological thing. There's a huge part of the deep-seated psychological need for her body to go, it is now safe to bring the baby into the world. That is a massive, massive part of it. How you can help, I guess, think about where the baby's going to sleep. You're going to need a bassinet or a cot. To start with, uh, you may even choose to get uh, one of those little, like a snuggle bed. Think about putting the big Allen key furniture together way before you actually need it. Uh, so cot, change table, all that kind of stuff. Put it together when the pressure isn't on. The yep. baby's clothes that you buy from the store or get given to you, pre-wash them. Give them a wash. You don't want to pull it out of a packet and put it on a baby. That's no good. And stock up on things like nappies, now disposable nappies, cloth nappies, nappy service, whatever it is you want to do, but stock up on those things. Baby wipes, you're going to need a lot of that. Bum cream, uh, moisturizer, you're going to need a thermometer. If you don't have one, yeah. you're going to need one. One of the contact ones or contactless ones, we've all been zinged by them in the COVID times. So get one of them. Really, really, really helpful. And what was the magic stuff we called? Dimodon. Some sort of paracetamol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Baby Panadol is uh, really important Gotta to get, get because if your baby gets a fever or whatever, that's the thing that you give them to take it right down and it'll save you a trip to the hospital. I should say, Osh, too, uh, we were talking about car seats earlier and uh, one thing that I would encourage all of our listeners to do is a dry run to the hospital. Oh, good plan. Now, you can do it. You know, early, like we, Gemma and I sort of, we, uh, during the Brax Hixton, the uh, early uh, contractions, not the giving birth contractions, but the kind of, hey, there's a baby coming contractions. The Braxton Hicks, the, when it's sorry, pretending. What did I call them? Hicks, Braxton, Braxton Hicks, sorry. Yeah. We, we, we suspected that it was nothing urgent, but we're like, why don't we use this as a chance to kind of go through our, uh, our approach to the hospital? And so, it's really good because it kind of, you work out the route you're going to take, you know, how long it takes you in different traffic, all that kind of stuff. But, oh, here's the thing I did not think of, which in retrospect is so stupid. 
I made my wife, my getting ready to give birth to my child wife, get in the front passenger seat on the way to the hospital. This is like literally two and a half hours before a baby came out of her body. I had her with her knees up around her chin in the front seat of our tiny little sedan on the way to the hospital. I did not think about putting her in the back seat. So let me give you this bit of advice for free, dear listener. When you're on the way to the hospital, give your wife the entire back seat. Put a seatbelt on her, lots of room, let her put her feet up. She's going to need to stretch out. Don't make her sit in the passenger seat like an Australian catching a cab in a foreign country. It's ridiculous. <laughs> G'day, mate. Where are you from? <laughs> Australian catching a cab in a foreign country. Oh, that is so perfect. Did Gemma nest at all? Did you notice Gemma nesting? Yes. It, she Murray condoed the shit out of our apartment. So basically, because um, we like artwork and books and all the little trinkets and stuff like that. So we have a very eclectic um, house and that look has changed. We now are minimalists. And everything that can be pulled or yanked or, you know, dragged has been removed from the house. So it actually was a, a good psychological exercise too, because we were starting a new chapter in our lives. And so we kind of swept out, you know, that old childless couple uh, house and restyled it to be a family home. We've just moved into a new house, like an actual house house, not an apartment. And that minimalism has continued with the addition of baby gates on every single pair of stairs. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. There are so many I've got, stairs. I've got four baby gates at the moment. How many have you got? <laughs> four. That's yeah. insane. And I think I need to put foam mattresses around the entire outside of the house because Iona keeps bloody tumbling. Even when she gets to the bottom step, she keeps tumbling. It's like, are you the clumsiest kid in the world or is this normal? The thing about the nesting is that Audrey had, as we've spoken on this show before, and I guess we'll get to it in later episodes in more detail, Audrey had a number of false alarms and one of the false alarms was uh, threatened preterm labour and she was ordered, sit on, get out of bed, have your cup of coffee, have a wee, sit on the couch, stay there until lunch, eat lunch, sit on the couch, stay there until bed, go to bed. You know, that was it. And she couldn't nest and it drove her fucking mental because she couldn't do it. She couldn't get up and clean the things. Mm. She couldn't put the things away. Her brain and body would just see that shouldn't be there. That shouldn't be in that hole. What, what's going on? What are we doing? And it drove her crazy. So it was I tried as hard as I could to read her mind and put the things where she wanted, but, you know, I don't think I did the, the, the best job. Uh, oh. But we got there. I did a lot of gum tree work in the, in the closing weeks of, of the pregnancy. Uh, and, yeah, that, that did help. I, I, managed, I made sure to assemble all the baby furniture in front of her as she sat on the couch so she kind mm-hmm. of felt like, oh, the things are being done. <laughs> she was foreman or forewoman, I should say, <laughs> <Yeah>. foreperson. <laughs> things are being done. So – Sleeping is really important the, and, and thinking yep. about how the baby's sleeping. How did you guys prepare and think ahead for, you know, the baby sleep situation? Was it a bassinet? Was it a snuggle bed? We had a snuggle bed next to our bed, which, uh, you know, uh, is essentially it's like a curved uh, cocoon mattress that you strap your baby into um, because you don't want your baby rolling over when they're a newborn. And that was just right beside our bed. So essentially, you know, in those early stages where your wife is breastfeeding, you know, every few hours, it was just easy that Jim could just roll over, pull the baby into bed, breastfeed, you know, put her back easily, strap her in and get some more sleep. So that was the early plan. In terms of like what we did about night feeds and stuff, we initially were both getting up and then we found there was no point in us both being tired. And so what we did is uh, Gemma would get up and feed 
and I would stay asleep and then I would take care of everything during the day. And guys, husbands, fathers, partners, before you get too excited about, great, you know, I get to stay sleeping because I can just say, no point in us both being tired. It turns, it gets to six months and then suddenly you're the one getting up to settle the baby. You're the one getting the bottle. So think of it like that. You're going to do six month blocks where you can sleep for the first six months, but then the next six months you'll be getting up. As you said, it's, it's super important to think about what are the actual practicalities of where the baby's going to sleep and how the baby's going to sleep. And you can't sleep with them in the bed because it's very dangerous for a baby to sleep in the bed with you. You can roll onto baby and that's really, really dangerous. Also, you know, there's different outcomes uh, as far as having the baby in the room with you or not having the baby in the room with you. So to to run all this stuff over in your head now before the pressure's on, before you're like, well, what do we do? What do we do? And, um, we had a, a like a, a marvelous kind of mechanized bassinet called a snoo, which rocked the baby. Oh, yeah. It was pretty awesome. They're amazing. Well, Lardy da, look at you. It's pretty bloody, you know, the fresh dad of Bel Air with your snoo. It was pretty good. I could change the speed on it with my phone. It was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's since nursed, it's never been out of baby use since we've stopped using it. We stopped using it when he was about six months, but it has not been out of use since. It's been rocking babies to sleep every night. It's just gone around the families. So it's well and truly still getting a heap of work. If you're a fan of Home and Away or a fantastic web series called Colorblind, uh, then you'll know this guy, Ty Hara. He uh, is the first rookie father we've ever had on Dad Pod. So let's just try his mobile now, Osh. Hello. Ty Hara, welcome to Dad Pod. You're talking with Charlie and Osh. How are you? Good, good. We're lauding over the fact that for the first time we have a dad on who knows less about parenthood than us. Yeah, that's true. I am a fresh father. But Charlie boy, just Mm. before we started, Mm. Osha, I I do have something to confess. Um, After all the years I've I've known Charlie, this is the first time he's ever asked me to come on on his podcast. So (laughs) not that I've really been keeping track or anything. and really, you know, who would have thought that um, all it took was one special night with my wife, having her grow up baby for nine months, and, and there you have it. So I just wanted to put that out there for anyone hoping to come on the show one day. <laughs> yeah, we'll suddenly see a population boom in Australia because so many people want to get on Dad Pod, and that's the only way. <laughs> just hanging, hanging for the Dad Pod. Your, your baby's quite little, in fact, really little. What's, how old's your baby at the moment? She's four months now. Whoa. So still, we're we're just out of the fourth trimester. We're just starting to come online. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, Ty, what we've been talking about is uh, getting ready to get to the hospital and packing a go bag. Can you tell us what you and Fel had ready to take to the hospital in terms of, like, clothes or snacks? What did you take? Yeah, to be honest, Charlie, I was pretty hopeless with all of that. So I dropped Fel in for just a, a regular appointment and I took the dog to the park and just thought everything was fine. And then a couple of hours later, she gave me a call to say, uh, we're going to have a baby and you need to go home and pack the hospital bag. So um, that was a bit of a whirlwind. It was kind of like, I guess, when you book a flight and you think it's leaving tomorrow and then you get an alert to say that your flight's departing in 10 minutes. So time. Thankfully, she'd written a list for me because she knew I was pretty unprepared. So I just threw everything in a bag. I definitely have a pack. I'm one of those people that doesn't pack light. And I'm pretty sure I took every swaddle in the drawer, all the singlets that weren't going to fit her for another six months. But yeah, needless to say, I, I think I packed everything right. 
So can you tell us, was there anything that you got to the hospital that you were like, oh, God, I didn't bring? To be honest, once we got there, I, it's all a bit of a blur in that way. But I I don't think I used half the stuff I packed in the bag. You and Jem were kind enough to give us a beautiful little pack that had everything in there, the singlets, and that got thrown in. And, um, and there was a... A brush in there as well. I definitely don't think I got to use the brush at the hospital. <laughs> I love the idea. But it was a great of, gentleman. I love the idea of you rushing home and literally like a burglar just tipping open drawers into your into your kit bag before running out the door. Yeah, it wasn't very precise. But no, Fel, Fel didn't have any problems with what I packed, which was half the house. It was, I think it was more probably the hospital looking at me going, what is this guy thinking? <laughs> so you're turning up as if you're, I'm going to do eight weeks in Europe with like three giant Samsonites as you're rolling into a maternity <laughs> ward. <laughs> yeah, with all my antlers suitcases ready for a social post. Um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Tell me, Ty, is it hard to influence and be a new father? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the big pressures I was thinking about coming into, yeah, fatherhood. Um, no, no. <laughs> one thing I was really excited about, though, was the opportunity to rock a Bjorn. Oh, uh, that yeah. was something that I feel is pretty underrated, and I was, um, I've been waiting the wings a long time to be able to put one on and, and take it for a spin. Ty, you speak in my language. That was the thing that I repeatedly told Gemma during her pregnancy. We'd, anytime we'd see a dad... With the baby Bjorn, I'm like, I cannot wait to put that on. And I've got to say, I love it. I still like, Iona's actually getting a bit too big for hers now. And I'll just like, I'll just force her in there. You'll see her in about, she'll be a 16 year old and I'll still be trying to cram her into a baby Bjorn to walk her down the street. They're the best, they're the best invention. You basically, you strap your baby in and you just get on with your life, right? Nothing's changed. <laughs> Can I ask, Ty, we've just been talking about people that you have in the room. Osh uh, was lucky to have uh, Audrey's parents there. You know, Gemma and I used a doula. What, who was assisting you? Who were you getting advice from leading up to the birth or, or even uh, in the hospital? Well, it was, it was a pretty different time for us because we went through the pregnancy during COVID. Um, so I wasn't able to go along to any of Sally's appointments. Uh, and I guess we, we missed out some of that uh, face-to-face interaction because of that. But we went with um, the midwife group at, at Ramwick and they were phenomenal. So we had a beautiful support with the ladies there. But in terms of family and being able to come in and visit and have that support there on the day, it was really just Sal and myself and the lovely staff at, at Ramwick. If the, the packing for the for the birth is anything to go by, I don't know how this question is going to get answered, but I may have an idea. How much prepping of the house did you do? Did you like bring the baby home and then go, honey, I'll be right back, and then just like do a <laughs> jump to baby buntings? Or did you did you have everything ready? Did you do much house prep before baby came? Yeah, actually, we were pretty lax, to be honest. I think the first time Sally and I stepped foot in a baby store was about eight months in. And we had a fight over prams and we bought a rocking chair. So that was kind of our, our start into the baby world. Um, but yeah, her room definitely wasn't complete. I, I had about another month to go on getting blinds up and putting things together. But that was all fine. <laughs> She'll never know. And did you find that first kind of three to four weeks, you know, when you're a new parent, uh, did you have like frozen food in the freezer or the people dropping care packs off? How were you feeding yourselves? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, to be honest, I'd go through, well, it wasn't myself. I think that was probably one of the best parts of, of the pregnancy was coming home to a fridge full of food. <laughs> 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 everyone was 
incredible. We had lasagnas, we had chicken dishes in there. It was yeah, it was kind of like a Michelin restaurant in the freezer to the point where it kind of got too full, and we had to tell um, everyone can't kind of stock up at their house until we were ready. Just months and months of food. But it really is the greatest thing you can do for a new parent is is don't bring another onesie. Don't bring another onesie. Bring bring me some food. Yeah. Hang on, I think a baby's coming up. Baby wants to get in on the show. Hang on, wait a second. Uh, hey, Ty, buddy. you can't say this, you but our Wolfie, Osha's son, is actually on, entering hi, the studio. He's walking like an upright Ty, person. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's so walking. He's doing so much walking. So we have a special guest now. Sorry, Ty, Wolfie's just jumped in on the show. Um, while I've got you, Ty, can I ask you, did you and your partner talk about how baby was going to sleep and how you know the sleeping arrangements would be once baby came home? To be honest, again, Osh, we were pretty lax with it all. We kind of just went, whatever's going to work and whatever's going to make Fel and the baby um, feel most comfortable. So, yeah, we were really fortunate that once we got home, we had a couple of rough nights. I mean, no one tells you, I don't know if you guys got informed on this. Charlie, you definitely didn't pass this on that um, okay. cluster feeding's a thing. So, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, <laughs> So there was some, there was definitely some sleepless nights. That's the second drive-by, Ty. I didn't invite you onto this show <laughs> to take pot shots at me. All right. <laughs> no, she was a little unsettled for the first couple of nights, but then we've been really, really fortunate that she does sleep through pretty well. So just yeah, I guess taking advice from friends that have been through it before, but also just being open to see what was going to be best for our living arrangement and how she was settling to to our home. Obviously, COVID meant you had a very different uh, experience to most people listening to this or, you know, definitely like your parents or or anything like that. Is there anything that, apart from having a go bag ready to go, that you would do differently, you think, leading up to labour? No, not really. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I really love the fact that um, maybe it sounds to the outside uh, that we um, were pretty unprepared but <laughs> I love the fact that we were really cruisy about it and and felt more so that she was just not stressed throughout the whole process. I think in terms of getting advice from our folks it was such a long time ago that so many of the things I was telling my mum she was pretty surprised I, I was kind of like what did you do when we were when we were born and, um, I don't know it was, must have been very different back then you know we just yeah punched darts and had some drinks and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was very different. But no, I, I don't think there's anything we would have changed. I think one of the, the best parts of, of it all was the fact that we were just pretty cruisy with it. Probably too cruisy to some extent, but that, that made things so much less stressful along the way. You've really hit the nail on the head there, and that's one thing that we... That, that's one thing that Audrey really instilled in me because Audrey uh, Wolfie here is uh, Audrey's second child. Uh, that's right, you are. Um, and she just basically said, look, the calmer we are, the calmer baby is. And you might think you're being pretty cruisy, but what's the alternative, man? It's being so highly strung that the babies pick up on that that weird tension in the air and then they never, ever get to sleep or they're never, ever hungry or you know what I mean? It just gets it goes totally. in a horrible circle. and Yeah. I remember when Gemma and I did our hospital visit and uh, we're going around a big group and they were showing us where all the rooms are and we saw this couple that must have just had a baby because that was like in the little, you know, rolling trolley and they walked out and they were this young couple and they were both wearing like cool dressing gowns and they sort of just like sashayed into the cafeteria and got food and were like making out and stuff and we were like... Those new parents look so cool. We want to be like them, just like chilling in our dressing gowns and making out at the cafeteria table with our brand new baby. 
So you didn't do that? No, no. I just ordered Nando's. <laughs> uh, Ty, it's been so great having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. We'll have to get you back on uh, once you're a bit more experienced and, and see see how you go with teething. But let yeah. me let me uh, let me let me send you a message from the future. It sucks. <laughs> it's oh so my God. Yeah, all the fun things to look forward to, huh? It's so good to speak to you, Ty. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Osh, we're almost near the end of another episode of Dad Pod, the first for season three. Now, one of the key features of the Dad Pod universe is our oh, yes. Dad Pod. Hall of Fame. Oh, yes. Last year, we tend to focus, we <laughs> we sort of un- subconsciously made it thematic about action hero dads. Yeah. So I'd like to sort of follow a, a different theme for season three and talk about not necessarily dads, but father figures. How do you oh, feel yeah. about that? I'm, I'm into it because as we alluded to at the start of the episode, I'm a bit, I'm a bit done with dumb dads. I'm into yep. lionising and kind of holding up on a pedestal father figures who we can all look up to and aspire to be. Well, Ash and Wolfie, <laughs> I know that you both are men of science. So if I said Dr. Emmett Brown, do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> I would say I don't know if we have the 1.21 gigawatts <laughs> to talk about this. I'd say when this baby here hits 88, you're going to see some serious shit. <laughs> <laughs> so people listening, it appears that uh, Wolfie is trying to garrote his father as we're doing the podcast. Yeah, Dr. Emmett Brown, don't believe he had any children of his own. I don't know. I haven't watched Back to the Future 3 that much, but I don't recall him having any of his own kids. He does have two children at the end, Jules and Vern, remember? There's that creepy kid. It became like an internet meme because oh one of the kids creepily points to his crotch. <laughs> At the end of Back to the Future 3. But that's neither here nor there, Osh. We're talking about why uh, Emmett Brown is such a great father figure and he's a man of science, so he teaches his son to believe, well, his uh, his ward, I guess you'd call him, his protege, to believe in nothing but science. He's supportive. They do nothing but fun projects together. Sure, he steals plutonium from terrorists from time to time, but he's a father who is there for his son. George McFly's... Too busy wallowing in his hair grease. His mother's got a drinking problem, and so Marty reached out to the one person he could rely on, a crazy hermit scientist who believes in time travel. I can't think of a better father figure. He's brilliant. He's there for Marty. As you mentioned, teaches him about science. He teaches the importance of punctuality. You've got to be here at exactly this point in time. Teaches him about the, the causation effects of, of time and how things are irreversible and how to, you know, let's be honest, how to love a dog. Yeah. He loves his little dog, loves Einstein. The best bit about uh, Doc Brown, in the, especially in the first film, is he sort of establishes these are the rules and you can't interfere with a timeline because those things have consequences. But at the very end... Doc Brown breaks his own rules because a good father figure's got to be a bit flexy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's important. Every now and again, you've got to understand that, look, things today aren't quite what they were when I grew up, and I'm just, I'm just going to have to trust that the lessons that I've instilled into this protege, this ward, this child of mine, will serve them enough that they can deal with the variables that I never had to face, but the values that I've taught them, they will, will carry them through this challenge. That's kind of just how you, you just got to do it every now and again. And if they can tip me off about my own murder, all the better. <laughs> I'll buy a bulletproof vest. So Dr. Emmett Brown, Dad Pod salutes you. Charlie, 
Before we get out of here, just a little bit of email came in. Oh, great. Askdadpod at gmail.com is where you are. If you do have any questions, we would uh, love to answer them. Of course, we're far from experts, but we can only simply give you what our reflections are. Uh, This one came in from Izzy. Hi, Osher and Charlie. I'm a 17-year-old girl who, for many reasons, loves this podcast. I'm just wondering how Georgia, who Georgia's my my stepdaughter, I'm just uh, wondering how Georgia coped with a new addition to the family. When you and your wife were trying, did we consult her first? Uh, That's a really good question, Izzy. Um, No, we didn't consult her. I think she had a fair clue, though, that once I'd moved in, she was 10 when I met her, I think she had a fair clue that when I showed up and when we got married, you know, it's probably pretty on the cards that she will have a, a younger sibling very, very soon. I will say, Izzy, that now Georgia and Wolfie have the most wonderful, wonderful relationship and it oh. is glorious, has been glorious watching Georgia because she there is quite a difference. She was 15 and a half when Wolfie was born. It's really, really, it was really quite something seeing her be, I guess, more, what's the sisterly word? It's not fraternal. I don't know what the sister one is. But sororal. I don't know. It was she was more mothering to Wolf than a sibling to Wolf, and has been since the day he was born. And now they have this really beautiful relationship. When there is a smile that Wolf has just for Georgia, and it's bigger and better and brighter than any smile he has through his own mother and father. And he he hears her waking up, and he's like, JJ, JJ. He just can't believe that he gets to have this big sister in her life. So, Izzy, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limit and say that there may be a baby coming in your life very soon, a, a younger brother or sister, Izzy, and I would say to you, it's going to be okay and you're going to get to have a relationship with this beautiful new person that is independent of your mum, your dad, your stepmom or your stepdad. Like you will get to enjoy a relationship with this person for the rest of your life and it's going to be amazing and and you get to be a part of them and in many ways be almost a, a parental figure and you're going to have a bond with them that's going to be just fantastic and it'll give you so much joy and I'm, I'm really excited for you, Izzy. It's going to be great. Oh, you're making me want to have another baby, Osh. That was great. <laughs> There's quite a difference in between you and your eldest, isn't it? Your eldest um, sibling? 18 years. 18, 18 years. years. But there's also seven kids in between. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like my parents had a break. So if you do need to email us, askdadpod at gmail.com. We're away, mate. We're away. Season three, dadpod three, beyond sleeping in. <laughs> we, we based it off the artwork that we stole from Mad Max 3, Beyond Thunder. <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, it's two seasons of Dad Pod in a row that I've become Mel Gibson. We might have to pick a less controversial figure for me to put my face on to season four. I reckon just own it. It'll be Braveheart next. (laughs) All right, Osh, thanks for that. Good first step. I'll see you next week. See you next week. We're going to talk all about pre-labor and labor. The the day that, as, as Charlie mentioned from day one of doing this show, it's easy to talk about labor like it's scary and it's the thing that should be feared. But we're here to talk to you about it in a way that is very, very different. And we really hope that you can stick with us through episode two, because while it makes a good TV show or a good movie to have that terrifying labor scene, um, sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's amazing. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you about it. Charlie, have a fantastic week. I'm going to go and get on tools because it looks like I'm on shift. (laughs) You're going to do your sign off. All right. Talk to you next time. Go to bed. (laughs) 